Well, good evening, everybody. I'm excited to be here with you tonight. Just a few days from now, we're going to celebrate uh, Christmas together. We're looking forward to that here in our sanctuary and live-streamed as well. 7 p.m., a Friday night, Christmas Eve, and so we're just excited to to worship God and to praise him and to just look at the birth of Christ and all that that means for us. And just as a way of reminder as well, Christmas morning, we're not going to be gathered here physically in our building, but we will be having a special message uh, Christmas morning online only, live streamed at all our normal places at live.hosannachapel.org or our YouTube channel if that's where you watch us there. And so that will be uh, premiered broadcast at 10 a.m., but after it's broadcast at 10 a.m., it'll be there forever, so go back and watch it if you miss it in the morning. So I look forward to spending that time with you guys. But tonight, we are going to be continuing through our study of First Peter, and we are starting chapter 2 now, and tonight we are talking about milk. Yes, you heard me correctly, milk. Now, if you grew up like I did, uh, we had some secular Christmas traditions that uh, we, we observed when I was younger as a little kid, and one of those was always to leave milk and cookies out for Santa, right? I don't know if any of you did that in your, in your uh, observances of, of Christmas before you knew the Lord and whatnot, but we used to always be told by our parents, you know, leave a glass of milk out with some cookies, and as I got older, I started to, you know, connect dots on the, the story of this Santa Claus, and I thought, you know, if he's drinking milk and eating cookies at every house in the world tonight, how does he fit down the chimney, right? That, that was one of my big questions I had growing up. But, you know, growing up, I remember as a kid, there were just a few different kinds of milk, right? You had whole milk, 2%, skim. That was about it. It all came from cows. Now there's almond milk and Soy milk and rice milk and oat milk and hemp milk and lactose-free milk and this milk. And I was over at the coffee shop down the street with my assistant the other day, and their sign says um, alternative milks, and they don't even spell it milk anymore. It's M-Y-L-K, right? Milk, you know? Today, there's huge debates over which milk is the best, which is the most healthy, Right? which is the least healthy and so on. And it's interesting because in 1993, I don't know if I, some of you may remember this, um, 1993 in response to declining milk consumption and competition, which primarily at that time was from soda and juice, um, the Great Got Milk campaign was launched. Now, to this day, we remember that campaign, right? It has been memorialized in so many different ways. It's considered the most loved imitated, right? Every meme you could think of has done some variation of gut milk. Um, the most loved, imitated, and awarded marketing campaign in the history of the planet. It's still going on today. Yes, I was surprised. Gotmilk.com is still a live website. It is still updated and active. And you could go to that website and see that their battle today is not against juice and soda. It's against alternative milks, right? And so there's way more information than you ever even wanted to know about milk and the battle. Some interesting facts I read about milk that you may or may not know. The average cow produces 90 glasses of milk per day. And over its lifetime, it'll produce over 200,000 glasses of milk. There's been research on cows and producing of dairy milk. And in research, what they have found is that cows give more milk when they're listening to music. Who knew, right? What kind of music? Hardcore? I don't know. Um, 
There was another study where researchers claimed that cows with names made 3 to 4% more milk than cows without names. And all of this really has nothing to do with tonight's study. I just found it really interesting. Except for the fact that the word milk is in the verses we're looking at tonight. And tonight's idea is not all these weird facts about milk. Tonight's idea that we're getting from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3 is just like a newborn baby desires milk. Just like a newborn baby cries out and craves milk for its growth and, and, its, and its health, we should desire the pure milk of the word. And the pure milk of the word means spiritual truth. It means God's word, the Bible. We should desire it for our health, our spiritual health. We should desire it to make us strong. We should desire it, as we're going to see in these verses tonight, to grow up. And it doesn't mean grow up as in like grow up punk, you know, but it is kind of a firm thing of, you know, it's time to grow up and it's time to grow forward. And so as proper nutrition is, is really essential to our physical growth, proper nutrition is also required for our spiritual growth. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it's practical. We thank you, God, that it talks to us about real things in real ways about our real lives. We thank you, God, that your word and the people that you spoke through and inspired to write these letters, God, um, used stories and metaphors and things that connect the truths of who you are and what you want us to do, who you want us to be, connected those truths to just our everyday lives and things that we experience and know of here in our world. And so, God, speak to us tonight. Lord, so many of us uh, desire to grow in you. At least we should. And yet, Lord, some of us listening to this maybe feel stagnant in our spiritual growth. Maybe feel like we've reached a plateau or somehow just haven't really grown and matured in our faith in, in who knows how long. And so, God, tonight I, I pray that you would speak to us about how to do that, how to, how to get moving forward again, Lord. And that we would see that the most important thing in our growth is the word of God. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Speak to us tonight. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's read the verses. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it, you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so as you guys should know as students of the Bible, anytime you see a therefore, right, it means that it's tied to a previous thought. And these first three verses are actually tied to the thoughts from chapter one. So this is one of those moments where um, theologians and scholars that are much smarter than I am go, you know, I'm not sure the chapter break should have been there and stuff, and, and, and maybe, maybe not, okay? But the point is, is that the idea of chapter two here is still coming off of the ideas that were taught in chapter one. And so chapter one, as Peter started writing this letter, he started out with the theme of salvation, right? This is all about our salvation. Don't forget you're chosen and elect by God. Don't forget that you're saved. Don't forget the value of your salvation. But then he started going through chapter one talking about the results of our salvation, what it looks like when we have salvation, what our, lights should, our lives should look like. And really the overarching idea was since we are saved, since we are born again, be holy in your conduct because God is holy. 
right? That was verses 15 and 16 of chapter one. Be holy because God is holy. Since you're saved, you call yourself a Christian, you've received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sin, you've put your faith in God, you've put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you. Since you're saved, be holy as God is holy. And then at the end of the chapter, he started kind of detailing what that conduct is, right? Let your conduct be holy. Well, what does it look like when we are being holy as God is holy? Well, one of the major characteristics is that we would love one another, that we would show love to one another. And this is what I spoke about last Wednesday as I kind of highlighted four aspects of Christian love that are to characterize the Christian community of fellowship, right? When we call ourselves Christians and we say we're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, this includes us as friends, as, as husband and wife, as fathers and mothers and all of this. What does that look like? But here Peter goes on to kind of finish the thought and touch on the most important factor, in my opinion, and I believe the word supports this, in the development and maintenance of that critical characteristic. The most important factor in developing that love and maintaining that love towards one another that he talks about. Now we get a little hint of this back in 1 Peter 1 verse 23 when he said, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then verse 25, he says, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. The word of God is the key. The word of God, the Bible, it truly is the greatest good news that has ever existed, right? And that's what the word gospel means, good news. It is the greatest good news for mankind. If you're a Christian in this room tonight, and if you're a Christian watching online, you know what I'm talking about. The gospel that came to you, the gospel that you've put your faith in, the gospel that you believed in is truly the greatest good news you have ever heard. But it's not just the gospel that Jesus came and died for you. The whole of the word of God is good news. It reveals to us who God is, who God wants us to be. There is so much encouragement in the Bible for those who seek truth. The word of God is foundational, critical in our growth as believers. And so what we're encouraged here tonight in these verses is to desire it, to delight in it, to crave it, because it is so key to our spiritual growth. You know, in Psalms chapter 1, David was writing about the blessed person or the happy person. And in verse, uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, he said, The happy person delights in the Lord's instruction, and they meditate on it day and night. In Psalm 119, there's over 184 references to the Word of God. And it says in Psalm 119, 24, Your decrees are my delight and my counselors. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, he said, your words were found and I ate them. <laughs> your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. And Job said in chapter 23 of Job, verse 12, I have treasured the words from his mouth more than my daily food. The New Testament calls the word of God the bread of life, right? Jesus himself, who is the word. That, that, that this 
Bible that we have is the nourishment we need to live life, to be successful. You know, have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat, right? Well, looking at those verses, right, your words were found and I ate them, right? Do, do you consume the word of God? Is it, is it greater than, than, than physical food to you and water? And, and is, it, is it sustenance beyond your physical sustenance in our lives? A proper response to our salvation. To become holy as he, he is holy. To love others as he would have us do involves us desiring that which causes us to grow and mature in our faith. And that thing is the word of God. However, I, like many of you probably in this room, and many of you watching online, find myself at times not craving the word of God like I want to. Not desiring the word of God like I want to. Not calling out for it like a baby would call out for milk. And so tonight, I want to share three ways to enhance our spiritual appetite. That's what we're going to be looking at in these three verses. Three ways to grow spiritually. And since he uses milk and tasting and all of this, I'm going to use eating and food as a springboard. Okay, And we're going to look at these three steps, um, like going to a restaurant. And step one is you get the appetizer. Step two is you get tempted with junk food. Step three, if you push the junk food aside and wait for the main course, you get the really good stuff at the end, right? So these three ways to enhance your spiritual growth are to be heedful, to be careful, and to be faithful. To be heedful of what you have tasted, to be careful to push away the junk food, and to be faithful to feed on the truth. So the first one we're looking at, we're actually going to start in verse three, okay? We're going to move backwards through this. Verse 3 gives us the first way to enhance our spiritual growth, to be heedful to what we have tasted. In verse 3 of 1 Peter 2, he says, after he goes, therefore, put these things away, desire the pure milk of the word, he goes, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, the entire thought of these three verses, which really is the conclusion of his thought all the way through chapter 1, rests on this supposition here, if, all right, that word if. Now, if, we commonly hear the word if, and we think of two possible outcomes, right? If this, then that. But the verb tense of this word that's translated if in the original Greek, the verb tense is what's called indicative, all right? All that means is that the word if is not saying maybe this, maybe that. It's going, I'm assuming the case I'm making to be true. You could translate it since, right? Since you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so that word tasted simply means to experience something. Now, the reason it's rendered tasted is because the particular word itself means to experience something, most likely through the sense of taste, right? But the idea is experiencing something, and he goes, if or since you, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. And that word good means gracious or benevolent or kind. And so what he's saying here is since you have experienced that the Lord is good, Verses 1 and 2. Since you've experienced the Lord is good, meaning you didn't just read about it on a blog. You didn't just listen to a podcast about it. You didn't just watch someone's YouTube video talking about how the Lord has got good. No, you yourself 
have personally experienced his grace and his kindness. This is the first thing he's talking about, to be heedful to what you have tasted. Now he goes, tasted that the Lord is good. See, that echoes Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, where the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The idea there in the psalm is, look, come and taste. Experience for yourself that the Lord is good. Because once you do, you will not want anything else in a lasting way. When we taste the graciousness of God, when we experience the goodness of God in our lives, I think most of us figure out that God is better than sin. Right? Sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin is fun and enjoyable in a very short-term manner, but when the consequences of sin and the downside of sin hits, oh, it's not at all enjoyable. And those of us that have experienced, have tasted of the goodness of God, have figured out that God is better than sin. We first experienced this when we came to Christ. Right? If you're a believer, do you remember the moment that you said yes to Jesus on a personal level? Do you remember that moment? Everybody has a different story, right? I remember years ago we were, we were talking about, you know, church and altar calls and do you have people come forward? Do you have them raise their hand? Do you just say sit and pray? You know, what, you know, there's all these different types of styles and none of them are wrong, but we were talking about that and Pastor Gary just went, you know what? And he pointed to one of the guys on staff here and he goes, how did you get saved? What was your salvation experience? And we all took turns sharing the moment we came to Christ. Every single one of them were different and unique. Mine, I didn't come to know the Lord at church. I didn't come to know the Lord at, 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 the, at the preaching from the pulpit. It wasn't at a harvest crusade. It wasn't even a friend saying, do you want to accept Jesus right now? Do you want to pray? It was me alone in my bedroom, spending a week asking God, if you're real, speak to me through this Bible I'm holding in my hand. And every night for five nights in a row, I would open the Bible and he would speak to me. I was like, today you don't, right? It was very specific. And it scared me. And so for a week straight, I went through that. And my salvation moment, I simply remembering and experiencing and feeling this overwhelming sense of the presence of something big, something almighty, something supernatural that I couldn't see, but I knew it was here and it was looking at me. But simultaneously with that sense of suddenly, it was, like, it was like the lid got lifted off my head and I could see the whole universe for a second and I could see God going, mm-hmm. I also sensed this overwhelming peace. A peace that I had never found before. A peace that I searched for in partying and drugs and alcohol and in relationships and a peace that I tried to find in everything the world that had to offer and I never found it. At least it never lasted for the first time in my life, there was this overwhelming sense of, I'm different. I am at peace with my creator. And five seconds ago, I barely believed he existed. But once I came to that moment, I knew. I knew. I didn't see a vision. I didn't hear a voice. It was just a sense of the presence of God and a peace that I had never felt before. 
I knew I was saved. I had tasted the goodness of God. I had tasted the grace that God had for me. I felt forgiven in a way that had never, I had never experienced before. I had, well, I just don't want to belabor the point. But if you're saved, you've had that moment. You've tasted the goodness of God. And once you taste that, the temporary pleasures of sin just aren't the same anymore. Right? I've had so many people share testimonies with me where their, their vice was drinking and they just loved drinking and they loved it and they loved it and it had control over their lives and they just, they couldn't wait to get drunk. And, I mean, and then they genuinely got sick. Ooh, bit my tongue. Got saved. God came into their life. They tasted the goodness of God, but then they have a moment of relapse, maybe the next day, a week, a month later, and they go out and drink again, and they go, this is terrible. This does not feel the same as it did before. Why? Because they have tasted the goodness of God. It's like, have you ever tasted the, the, the good, the fancy version of something, right? The gourmet version. And you're like, that's what that's supposed to taste like? Your taste buds are ruined forever. You can't go back to the cheap stuff. But his idea here, I think what he's getting at is it's good for believers to reflect and to remember the goodness that they have received from God. To remember and reflect on what they have experienced. You know, when we forget what God has done in our lives, when we forget the grace he's extended to us, the forgiveness he's extended to us, the patience he's extended to us, when we forget about that, we find ourselves getting bitter, getting grouchy, getting complainy, getting difficult with people. And that leads to fights and quarrels and unkindness and unloving behavior. You know, Isaiah 51, verse 1, he says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were dug. Now, I like how that's rendered in the New King James better because it says, look to the rock with which you were cut and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Sometimes it can be good to go take a look at the pit. Not to jump back in. Don't misunderstand me. Right? No diving board at the edge of the pit. Woo! That's not what I'm talking about. But to maybe go look at the pit and go, that's where I came from. You know, that slop, that filth at the bottom of that pit, that's what I used to feed on. I used to feed on that garbage. I used to think that that was pleasurable, but no, I've, I've tasted the goodness of God. There's no way. There was this hardcore band my band used to play with a long time ago called Leaders, and they had this T-shirt. I still have it. Um, and on the back of their shirt, it says, I've been to the bottom, and I'm not going back. That is the cry of every Christian. I've been to the bottom. And there ain't no way I'm going back. Think of how many prayers God has answered for you. How many times he sent a word of encouragement just when you needed it? How many times he, he's provided provision, gifts, finances when you needed help? 
how many times there's been someone that said the exactly the right thing you needed to hear, even if you didn't want to hear it in the moment. If you are saved, you have tasted the goodness of God. You have tasted the goodness of God. And so be heedful of what you tasted. Be mindful and remember that first taste, right? That's the appetizer. (laughs) That's that first bit you get and you go, wow, this is so good. I cannot wait for the main course to get here. So the second way to enhance your spiritual growth is to be careful to push away the junk food. Now let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, so I would read it this way. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. These things are the junk food that comes to the table of our lives, the bad stuff that we could find ourselves feeding on. The problem is that these things, when we feed on them, ruin our spiritual appetite. Just like if you went to that fancy restaurant. Parents, maybe you had this experience with your kids, right? You go into the really nice restaurant and they brought all kinds of candy in their pockets and they're eating it and you're like, what are you doing? You're ruining your appetite, right? The nice, fancy, expensive dinner comes and they're like, oh, I'm not hungry. I got a tummy ache. You're like, what is wrong with you? These things are the junk food. They make it so that you don't even have an appetite anymore for the good, pure milk of the word. And they do that because when we're feeding on these things, when we're feeding on malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, when we're feeding on those things that are the opposite of and contrary to the loving way God wants us to conduct ourselves within the body of Christ, All the good stuff does is remind us of how much of the bad stuff we've already been eating. Right? The devil's really good at this. I'm going to crack open my Bible, but then that whisper goes into your head, oh, but you did such and such today. You, you 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 were deceitful. You were a hypocrite today. And you're like, oh, I can't read the word. And the more we continue to consume the bad, the more we will avoid the good. Why? Because you get spiritually sick when you engage in the junk food. You get that spiritual tummy ache, so to speak. The only way to change course, what does he say there in verse 1? Rid yourselves of the bad. Rid yourselves of the bad. It's just like trying to eat well. I am intimately familiar with the struggle. I got to eat healthy. I got to start eating good food, stuff that's good for me, right? But if there's bad stuff still in the cupboard, wow, it's so much harder to stick to the good stuff, right? Ever try and change your eating habits, go on a diet, whatever you want to call it? You're like, all right, no more sweets, and you still have a whole thing of cupcakes sitting on the counter in the kitchen. Every time you walk by the cupcakes, they're like, how, how can I hear you talking to me, Cupcake. And it says such nice, sweet things. And you're like, leave me alone. And you may make it out once or twice, but pretty soon you're like, all right, Cupcake, let's have a conversation. The only way to change is to rid yourselves of the bad. And if you leave the bad there, like I said, it's so much harder to stick to the good stuff, especially when you don't even try to remember how good you felt when you were eating the good stuff. 
Right? Isn't it funny how that never comes to our mind when we're trying to stop eating stuff that's unhealthy for us? We forget that, you know what, when I was, had a good diet, when I was eating healthy, when I was taking care of myself, man, I had energy and I felt good. You don't remember none of that. You're just like, cupcake. That's what happens spiritually. And so he's saying, look, throw the bad stuff in the trash where it belongs. Get rid of it. Get rid of the things that aren't healthy for you. And so these five things here, it's not an exhaustive list, but these are five things that I believe choke out the desire for healthy spiritual nourishment. The first thing he says there is malice. What's malice? It means ill will. Malice is having a mean-spirited or a vicious attitude or disposition. It's saying or doing the good, nice thing, but for evil, selfish, wrong purposes. It's doing the good thing, not to be a blessing to someone, but it's doing the good thing so that you can get under their skin, so you could hurt them, so you could hold it against them, so you could throw it in their face. This is what malice is. It's something that begins in the heart, but then eventually comes out of your mouth and through your actions. He says, throw that away. That's not loving. Deceit. This means to take advantage of someone through crafty, clever, or underhanded methods, right? It's not just lying. The word literally means, in the Greek, to bait a hook. Peter, as a fisherman, I think, understood this word very well, right? And then you think about fishing. I mean, fishing really is deceit, isn't it? You take a hook, you put something on it that looks yummy, You trick the poor fish, minding his business, going about his day. You trick him. You lie to the poor fish to get a hook in his mouth. It's the idea of covering up your real intentions with something that looks good or sounds good. But you really are going to trick them or take advantage in some way. Hypocrisy. We're familiar with hypocrisy. It means insincerity. It means being fake. It's putting on the fake smile. It's acting fake when it's not what you really mean. You know, this word came from uh, Greek stage actors. The Greek stage actors were called hypocrites. And these Greek stage actors, what they would do as a part of their acting is they would have these masks and they would cover their face with these masks to play a part. And that is where we get our English word, our understanding of the word hypocrite. You're putting on a mask. You're pretending. You're not being honest. This is anybody who pretends to be something they're not. Some people pretend to be cool. They pretend to be spiritual. They pretend to be this. They pretend to be that. It's junk food. Envy. That's simply being upset at someone's fortune or happy at someone's misfortune. That's envy. Right? Your coworker gets the promotion at work. And you're like, I should have got it. And you're just envious. You think you should have got it. You're, you're, you're unhappy at their fortune. Or the flip of that, you get the promotion and you lord it over everybody and you gloat. And you're happy that they didn't get it. That's what envy is. Slander, it's speaking false words that damage a person's reputation. Gossip is included in this concept. You know, but this includes... Hey, I got to tell you something. Oh, never mind. I don't want to say anything bad about them. You just did. 
is having words come out of your mouth that have an intent to harm someone's reputation. And we have to be very careful about this because sometimes we, 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 we say things and we have no proof, we have no evidence, we have nothing backing it up, but we feel like we've got to share with something and all it does is damage someone's reputation. We have to be careful with that. Slander is junk food. Forgetting how gracious and good God has been in your life, forgetting how good the appetizer was in the, in the metaphor here, results in us giving in to the temptation to feed on junk food. When we forget how blessed we've been, it's easy for us to give in the, temp- the temptation to envy someone for their blessings. When we forget how gracious God has been with us, it's easy to give in to the temptation to start being deceitful in our relationships. To do things to hurt the other person on purpose because whatever. That stuff. Those, those, those junk food things that we do in our relationships that, that, that in a moment, they taste great, right? In a moment, they make us feel good. I hurt them. I won. I got my way. I won the argument. Whatever it is, ultimately does nothing but to make us sick. It does nothing but harms us, makes us miserable. And so when we treat our friends, our coworkers, our spouses, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our extended family, when we treat them with a mean, selfish, insincere, backbiting fakeness, thinking, well, I won that argument. I'm getting what I deserve. They're getting what they deserve. When we, when we do that, we don't realize that we're just losing everything that really matters in our life. We're destroying relationships. We're, 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 we're setting a bad example for those watching. We're just harming ourselves. So people who have forgotten what the appetizer was like, they have forgotten the feeling of being forgiven when they have sinned so much that God had to go to the cross to die for it. When they forget the feeling of having grace extended to them. When in no way did they deserve grace at all. When they forget the feeling of having mercy extended to them. When in every way they deserved the judgment of God. People have forgotten how good and gracious God has been to them. An undeserving sinner like every single one of us start becoming ungracious to others. And that bitterness, that ungraciousness, it really kills our appetite for spiritual, healthy, spiritually healthy things. That bitterness kills our appetite for the sweetness of God. That bitterness, when we feed on it and feed on it and feed on it and don't go, stop, throw that away, but we keep giving into it and keep feeding it in our lives. It just drives us farther and farther away of, of hearing God and even doing what God wants. And we may even like read our Bibles and go to church and stuff, but if we're feeding these things, these bad things, and we're feeding into them, we're going to find our growth, our growth in love, our maturity in Christ stunted. But the opposite is also true. The sweetness of God can kill bitterness. Right? The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to what? Repentance. 
It's not him yelling at us. It's not him fighting with us. It's not, it's not him striking us down. It's not him. It's, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And some of us, it takes longer than others. It took 21 years of my life before I finally realized that God loved me. And that I could accept that. Some people got it quick when they were kids. Some people, it's going to be decades. Some, it's going to be on their deathbed. But it doesn't matter when. The goodness, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. So be heedful of what you've tasted, Christian. Be heedful. Remember. Be careful to do away with the junk food. And the third way to enhance our spiritual growth is to be faithful to feed on the good stuff. Right? Look at verse 2. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. The highest rate of growth in a human life happens at the infant stage. It grows so fast, right? Grandpas like to say, you're growing like a weed. It's like every week, you know, you're bigger, you're taller, you're, you know, kids grow so fast when they're young and then it just seems to slow down. They need constant feeding, right? And babies, man, don't they have a wonderful way of just letting you know so politely and graciously when they're hungry? Right, just screaming out, I'm hungry. They make sure the whole world knows about it. They want food and they want it now. They don't wait. They go, oh, I don't, I don't want to be a bother. Sometimes we think it would be nice if they would do that, but they, they're not like, oh, mom's tired. I'll let my tummy growl. For no, they just nap, drop everything <laughs> and pay attention to me, feed me. And, I mean, it's important that they do that because, you know, milk for a baby, you know, a newborn baby, it's essential. It's not an optional thing. In order to grow, they need milk. Now, what Peter isn't saying here, just in case, he's not saying, hey, you guys are acting like a bunch of babies. That's not what Peter is saying here. Peter isn't going, look, you guys have such low spiritual growth, you're like spiritual infants, right? Because some of you might think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. You know, I've thought you would be ready to eat meat, spiritual meat, and move on to that, but you still need the milk, right? That's what, that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 3. But here, all Peter is saying is, look, desire God's word like a baby desires milk. That's what he's saying. He's not trying to say, look, we should avoid deep, meaty spiritual truths and only, you know, stay on the surface. He's not saying that. He's just saying the way a baby desires milk, we should desire the word of God. And if you do that, you will grow because of it. That's the intent of this passage. And this whole thing revolves around the single verb desire, right? What does he say there? Desire the pure milk of the word. This word desire means to long for something strongly or persistently. Other translations say crave the pure milk of the word or to crave the spiritual milk. It's a passionate, intense desire. It's the, it's the I have to have it desire, right? I think we've all experienced that at some point. 
There's a, there's a, a mini mart, liquor store, Circle K right across the street from my house. Really dangerous because they have Ben and Jerry's ice cream there. And sometimes I'm just like, you know what? It's 11.30 p.m. I'm craving Ben and Jerry's ice cream right now. Well, it's really easy to get to it. All I got to do is walk over there, right? It's, it's, it's this intense, passionate desire. It also means to ache for something or to hunger for something. So what do you, what do you crave? What do you ache for? What do you hunger for? To make it spiritual on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you say your spiritual appetite is like? I don't want to know. It's between you and God, right? But think about it. As we close out this year, think about it. On a scale of 1 to 10, where's my spiritual appetite? My appetite for God's word. You know, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Guess where we learn what righteousness is? The word of God. Guess where we learn how righteousness works? The word of God. Now, you'll notice there nothing said. Jesus didn't say anything about casually snacking after righteousness. And there are believers who can go a week. I've done this. I'm not pointing the finger without pointing at myself. Believers, we have seasons where we go weeks, sometimes months, without even cracking open our Bible, even loading up our Bible app. Right? And, and, and we're, we're good. The devil's really good at helping us come up with excuses of why we're busy, work, this, that, the other thing. But some will go weeks and months without ever even cracking open their Bible. On their own. Not here at church. Just on their own. And they don't feel the slightest twinge about never feeding on God's word. They think it's completely okay. It's completely normal. It's just no big deal to them. And sadly, what I've seen in my experience what I've struggled with in my times where I have been not feeding on the word of God is I find myself carrying around my little hypocrite mask more often than I did. I find myself wearing that mask when I come to church because I feel guilty. What is your craving like? That's the question that this passage is asking us. And the goal is like a baby who desires milk so much that they will scream for it, desire the word of God. I mean, how many of us can remember when we first got saved, when you first experienced that goodness, this voracious appetite for God's word? It was brand new, right? You wanted to read it. You wanted to study it. You know, when I first got saved, it wasn't tablets and, and technology and stuff. It was paper Bibles and tabs, right? And you'd go out and buy the Bible tabs, right? And you'd, oh, you just, you'd set up your whole Bible, right? And you'd get your special little Bible pen to take notes with. And you make sure you got a Bible with big margins in it because you're going to take notes, right? And you did in the beginning. You went through highlighters. And you even had color-coded systems. It was glorious. You just couldn't get enough of it. Well, have you lost that newborn passion for the Word of God? 
Have you lost that kind of craving and desire for God's word? Has it sadly become not a priority in your life? You know you need to. You get to it sometimes, but really it's not a priority in your day. It's not a priority in your schedule. If that's your life, as much as the word is telling you to choose to rid yourself of all the junk food, it is also telling you to choose to do whatever it takes to develop that desire, that craving, that passion for God's word. And yeah, you're going to have days where it's like, I read it and, oh, it, I didn't really feel anything. It's still good for you. Then you're going to have these days where you read it and you're like, whoa, it's three-dimensional. This is so cool. And God is just changing your life. But to have a regular habit of doing it, we have to develop that desire. Notice he says desire the pure milk of the word. The pure milk of the word. The idea of that word is no additives, no contaminants. There's nothing mixed in. Right? It's a farm term that used to describe in ancient times pure grain. Right, If you wanted to say, my grain was pure, there's nothing added to it, it's pure grain, you would use this word, or pure, <clears throat> uncontaminated corn. Here he's using the word with milk. The word means unadulterated, not mixed or diluted with any different or extra elements. You could spend way more time than you should, like I did today online, looking at milk. And you'll realize that there are some milks that aren't good for newborns. I had no clue. Right? No idea. Some of you are like, really? Seri I just, I didn't know. Right? Medical science still agrees that if possible, if possible, mom's milk is best. Sure, there are situations and scenarios where, where a mother can't breastfeed or there's you know, need for formulas and stuff, but science says, but if possible, mom's milk is the best. It's the good stuff. It's not mixed. It's not diluted with different or extra elements. Incidentally, that's one of what, at least what I read today, one of the reasons why formula is so insanely expensive because it has to be just right. And they have to get it as close as possible to the real, real thing. But the real thing, it has all this stuff for the baby to grow, the proteins, the fats, all that stuff is in mom's milk. And, and so what he's saying here is if you want to grow spiritually, don't mix God's truth with anything else. Don't mix it. Don't dilute it. Don't water it down. Don't add to it. Keep the pure word, the pure word. Keep the pure truth, the pure truth. God's word plus nothing else. Don't mix anything else with it. Now, some people are like, oh, well, what about philosophy? Philosophy is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with philosophy. But God's word is the authority. And philosophy is always filtered through God's word, not the other way around. Philosophy doesn't then go, well, philosophy says this. God's word must be wrong. It's the same thing with psychology. Right? There was a time in the church in, in recent past where they're like, oh, psychology is the devil. And I'm, that's dumb. Right? Mental health is, is as real and as important as physical health. Right? And in our modern world, right, mental health is, is way more prevalent and people talk about it more and, you know, businesses and stuff are like mental health days and all that, right? It's, it's, it's not this, this, this taboo thing nobody talks about anymore. But the idea of mental health and psychology, that doesn't trump God's word. It's still God's word first. 
So it's don't add to it, don't change it, don't dilute it. Keep to the pure milk of the word. Why? Well, look at the end of verse two. He said, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. The truth is we cannot grow spiritually without a steady diet of God's word. You just can't. It can't happen. You could be saved because God saved you. <laughs> because he chose to, right? You don't have to do anything to earn that. You just receive the gift. But to grow, to mature, you can't do it without a steady diet of God's word. You know, you simply ask yourself, like in, in, my, in my personal walk, in my faith, in my Christianity, am I in the same place spiritually that I was a year ago? Am I in the same place I was spiritually five years ago, 10 years ago? Because if you ask yourself that question and you go, you know, how, how have I not grown past that point? How have I not continued to mature? How have I stagnated? The answer might be found here. This is Paul speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul said this to Timothy about the word of God. All scripture... Now, this is from the New Living Translation, by the way. New Living Translation. I don't know if that's what's on the screen, but read what's on the screen and listening to the New Living. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. If you're not growing spiritually, if you don't feel like you're progressing forward as a Christian, maybe it's because you're not reading the manual and applying what it says to do and how to be. You see, notice there's, 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 a, there's a place to say, I'm going to obey God's word. Sometimes we could read it and go, well, I've read it. I've done my duty and not do what it says. That's, that's, that doesn't count, right? You've got to apply. You've got to obey. Some of you have heard a story before of a, and there's different iterations of the story, but company had this big machine and the machine broke down and nobody knew how to fix it. And they even consulted the manuals, but they were like, I don't really understand what the manual's saying. And they went back and forth and they had every engineer in the company try and figure out. And they're like, we can't fix this machine. And this machine is critical to our business. And so they found the guy who made the machine, the guy who wrote the manual. And they said, hey, can you come figure out what's wrong with this machine for us? And so the guy said, sure. So he showed up, and he listened, 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 then found this one spot, pulled out this little hammer, and went, bink, and the machine started working. And they were like, oh, you saved our business. This is amazing. How much do we owe you? And in this particular iteration of the story, this was a very long time ago, so he said, you owe me $10,000, and that was a lot of money back then. And they go, $10,000, that's pretty ridiculous. Can you kind of itemize your bill here? I mean, all you did was stand around and listen and then hit it one time with a hammer. He goes, sure. $1 for hitting the machine with a hammer. $9,999 for knowing where to hit the machine with the hammer. You know, that guy got paid because not only did he make the machine, but he knew where to tap. And God's word is just like that in our lives. It knows where to tap. When we have a problem, God's word just has this uncanny way of tapping right on the issue. 
And sometimes we're like, oh, oh, that's uncomfortable. Oh. But it's good for you because it's going to fix what's wrong. God knows what we need to hear. His word speaks to us. His word challenges us. His word confronts us. And then when we need it, it, can, it comforts us. When we need it, it encourages us. When we need it, it brings us peace. And so when you were first saved, you were given the appetizer. Wow, that was so good. God's goodness was so great. I cannot wait for this life with God. That experience of his grace was just amazing. But then the junk food comes along and takes away our appetite for the real good, healthy, spiritual food. Throw that stuff away. Get rid of it. Make room for the main course, the good stuff, the healthy stuff, the stuff that's going to build you up and bless your life. You know, there's some common ways of thinking when it comes to living Christianity that you see in the church. And some people just, they're saved, but they just go, you know what, I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to get dressed. I'll show up to church. That's all I got to do. I'll show up. I'll find a seat. Ah, not even that. I'm going to stay home, just load up the live stream. You know, that's all I got to do. Sometimes you ask that person, hey, do you know Christ? And they go, I go to church. Like, that's not what I asked you. I asked you if you know Jesus. Well, I go to church. Okay. But to them, that's the extent of faith. You can be saved and have that mindset, but you're not going to grow. You're not going to move forward in your faith. Some take a step past that. And they go, not only am I going to show up, but I'm going to listen. Right? I'm not going to be on my phone during the study the whole time. I'm not going to be sidetracked. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to what is being said. And they think, and, and I'm okay as long as I listened. But they also don't grow because they don't apply anything. They don't obey what they're hearing. But showing up is good. Listening is good. But you need to take another step. You need to grow up in your faith. You need to grow up in your faith. And that involves hearing and applying what God's word teaches. We do that by one, remembering that first taste of God's goodness, never forgetting what that goodness and that graciousness was, never forgetting all those times God has been so gracious to us when we fell and God was patient with us when we were, were being dumb and all of that. But then clear off all the junk food. Clear off all the temporary things. Clear off all the worldly conduct. Clear off all the things that are contrary to the word of God that you think are giving you what you want but are just temporary and leaving you, losing everything. Clear that off the plate. And desire. Crave the good stuff. Crave the pure milk of the word of God. And if you're like, I want to desire it, I'm not, then, then, then Pray. And get some brothers and sisters to pray with you and say, God, I want want a desire for your word. Because without it being a regular part of your spiritual diet, you're simply not going to grow. You're simply not going to mature. And God wants to work in and through you and take you to to places and things that you can't even think of in, in, in his work. And it's his word, the study of his word, the consumption of his word, that we find his will. We see him changing us and transforming us and it is glorious when that happens. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we just ask that you'd bless us tonight, God. 
Lord, as your people, we, we, we know we're sinners. We know we're, we know we're wicked. We know we've messed up. We know we've blown it. God, we need you so bad. And yet, Lord, I think many of us spend far too, time, too much time asking you, God, speak to me. God, teach me. God, help me. God, show me. But then we don't even open up the word, which is you answering all those prayers. So God, may we be people that, that have a desire, a passionate craving for the word of God. That reading your word, consuming your word, studying your word. God, some days it may be like just five, ten minutes. Some days we might spend an hour or two. Some days we might spend all day in the word. God, not as a, a duty and an obligation because God's going to be mad at me if I don't, Lord. No, simply that we would grow and mature in our faith and just continue to become the people that you want us to be. But God, it is so hard for us to love the way you're calling us to love because it's contrary to our nature. And yet your word teaches us how. Your word gives us the guidance we need. Your word tells us everything. And so God, may we make your word a regular part of our spiritual diet. That we would understand that yes, coming to church, very important. Worship, very important. Being in Bible study, very important. But our personal individual relationship in the word of God with you is critical to our growth. So help us, Lord, in that. Bless us in that. We love you, God. We give ourselves to you. Do your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.